We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. So what happens when you've been given a task and your aim was to finish it, but something comes up? See, all of us have those something came up moments, right? Man, I I was going to be there on time, but something came up. Man, I was committed to be at this event, but then something came up. Man, I was committed to follow through with this plan, but something came up. In life, we have what we call competing commitments. And competing commitments are not necessarily a bad thing. They could be as simple as, hey, I'm working on this task at work right now, and I've got to pick my son up from school, and I I could either be a little late so I can finish this task, or I can stop working on this task, not finish it, and go pick up my son from school. Uh, It can be uh, as simple as, man, I need to work out. I know I've been looking at myself in the mirror. Hello, somebody. Can somebody feel me on that one? I've been looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, I need to work out. But can I be honest? I like sleep way too much. I just, I'm tired. I didn't get enough rest last night, so I'm going to sleep in a little longer. I've got this competing commitment of wanting to be in shape or wanting to get some good sleep. Competing commitments don't have to be bad things all the time. Listen, how about this one? I want to serve. I want to serve on Sunday mornings for those who serve online uh, uh, in person. I want to serve Sunday mornings, but man, load in is at 645 or at 745, no matter where you're at. Okay, our team gets here at 745 in the morning. Our prayer team gets here at 7 a.m. But for some people, 745 even is way too early. And they're like, man, I want to serve, but I'm so so committed to sleeping in a little longer. It's been such a hard week. Listen, those are small situations, not necessarily big or bad situations, but competing commitments can actually become big decisions that we have to face. Think about wanting to go back to school and earn your degree so that you can make more money, but having to make the decision to stay in your job because if you lose out on this money, you won't even have the money to pay for school. So you're stuck in this competing commitment of whether to go pursue an education or staying right where I'm at and trying to make ends meet. How about this one? Wanting to own your own business, but being more committed to the fear that grips you. Hello, somebody. Can somebody feel that right now? If you can feel that, go ahead and put it in the chat. Oh, I feel that. I feel that. We say, if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? You, you have this great business idea. You've got this great product that you may have been working on, or this idea that you may have, and, and you want to launch it, and you want to go for it, but inside of you, you have this fear that maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe it's not going to materialize. And so you've got this competing commitment to your fear than a commitment of pursuing your dreams. How about the commitment, the competing commitments of knowing what's right to do, but choosing to feed your own ambition? Knowing what's right to do in a moment or feeding your own ambition, you can be in conversation with somebody where you you know what's right to do is be quiet and let them speak, but you want to feed your own ambition of being able to get the last word or not being seen as a pushover. And so you've got this competing commitment like, man, I want to reconcile this relationship, but I also want to be right. See, how many of us have been there? 
where we've left things undone, left money on the table, missed out on the full experience because of our competing commitments. This is where we get to the place of the curse of almost. Those times in our life where we could have followed through before our competing commitment, we chose to go against the very thing that we know that we could accomplish. Listen, the curse of almost, can I just be 100 with you guys? This is a statement that hits really, really home for me. The curse of almost feels like that's what my life uh, had been for so long. My life has been riddled with shoulda, coulda, wouldas. I often ask myself, what would it have been like if I'd have actually graduated from high school? Some of you guys don't know. I dropped out of the high school in the 10th grade. And oftentimes I sit there and think about my friends who completed high school. And yes, we're all doing good now. Yes, we're all married. Yeah, we're, we're all grown now. But what, my, what would my life have been like if I'd have completed high school? What if I had graduated college on time? I don't know about you guys, but I took the long route. Uh, some of us take the long, we take the scenic route to graduation. So when I got into college, I could have been done in four years. Every, my wife was done in like three and a half years. She's so smart. She's so much better than me. I married up 100%. Shout out PC. You are amazing, Pastor Christine. Uh, but I took the 12-year route. What if I'd have graduated college on time? I often ask myself one of those things. What if I should have taken that business opportunity or that job opportunity that was presented to me that I, I thought about taking, but I had competing commitments in my life. And I said, man, I don't know if I should really take this on. What if I'd have reconciled that relationship with a family member, with a friend, with a coworker? What if I could have just done something different? I know some of you guys, even as I've been sharing this, are feeling this right now. If, if, if you're feeling this, if this is bringing up your own experiences, go ahead and type it in the chat. Just say like, man, I feel you, preacher. I feel you, pastor. I, I get it. I, I've been there as well, too. And, and oftentimes we go back and we think about some of the things that we've left undone. And then this story that we're going to dive into in scripture about this guy named Saul, we see an awesome trajectory. We see an awesome future that is left undone because of the curse of almost. Now Saul had it all. He had all the good looks. He was anointed. He had God's presence living inside of him. He had power. He had influence. He, was, he had money. He was a king. Saul was the first king of Israel. See, Saul uh, was a son of a wealthy man. And one day his, his dad, when he's younger, tells him, hey, listen, we've lost some donkeys. I need you to go find some donkeys. Uh, random facts in the Bible. His, his dad says, hey, listen, get one of your boys and go look for the donkeys that I lost. And so Saul goes out and he's minding his own business out on mission for his dad. And unbeknownst to him, God is working out a plan for him to become king. I often say this, their name, your name is being spoken of in rooms that you've never been in. There are times when God is working out a plan for your life that you have no clue is taking place. So it doesn't matter where you're at, no matter what you're into, no matter what situation that you're in, just know when God has called out your life in his name, then you will have his plan unfold 
for your life, even no matter what your current situation is. It's oftentimes we're stuck in the mundane when God is actually working out the miracle. It's often when we're stuck in those times where we feel like our life is going nowhere where God says, I am creating somewhere for you to be. So through the course of time, God reveals this plan to Saul. He meets a guy named Samuel. Samuel is a prophet in the area. God tells Samuel, hey, Samuel, this guy is going to be looking for some donkeys, and I need you to let him know that he's going to be the next king of Israel. And here's the deal. Tell him where the donkeys are at, because God gave Samuel the prophetic vision and words of knowledge of understanding uh, things of God and how things play out. And he says, listen, here goes where the donkeys are. And then he also tells Saul, hey, as you're headed home, you're going to meet a group of guys. And these guys are going to be what's called prophets. And these prophets are going to be prophesying. They're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. They're going to be giving words of knowledge. They're going to be prophesying over people's lives. And when you show up around them, just do what comes naturally. Just do what comes naturally. So I want you guys to follow along. This guy is just a son of a wealthy man. He's going out looking for some donkeys. He meets a prophet. The prophet says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Uh, Here goes where the donkeys are at. You're going to meet a group of guys. And when you find them, just do what comes naturally to you. And so imagine what's going on in his mind right now. He's like, okay, yeah, sure. I'm going to be the king of Israel. There has been no king of Israel. I can't be a leader over a nation that has never had a leader outside of God. So funny guy. Okay, thank you that you're letting me know where these donkeys are, but that's kind of weird, bro, that you know where my donkeys are, and I didn't even tell you that I'm looking for some donkeys. Oh, yeah, the other thing, I'm going to meet a bunch of prophets and just do what comes naturally. So I bet he's walking over here, and he sees this group of prophets, and he sees the donkeys, and things are seemingly falling into place, and he's like, wait, hold on, maybe this is God. Have you ever been in that situation in your life where you're like, uh, somebody lets you know that your life is going to take on a certain path or you read God's word and you feel like God is speaking that word over your life and all of a sudden things just start to work out. Things just start falling into place. So he's like, oh man, maybe God is in this. And so when he finds this group of prophets, he's supposed to do what comes naturally and he too starts prophesying. He too starts spitting Holy Ghost fire just like the rest of these prophets. And so now God is already doing the the miraculous in and through him. And so this is Saul's trajectory. He is going to be the king of Israel, the first king of Israel. Israel didn't have a king up until this. They had judges, they had people that God had raised up to kind of judge the nation and lead them and provide guidance. But uh, but Israel, this nation that was set apart by God was like, man, we want our own king. We want a king like every other nation. And so God raises up Saul to be this king. And now the time of his coronation is here. Samuel shows up to his parents' home to Saul's parents' home. And everybody's excited about what's about to take place. And Saul is is about to be crowned king. And what does Saul do? He runs and he hides. You got to read the story. I believe it's in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Saul runs and he hides. And he's hiding around this baggage. But the crazy thing is he's taller than everybody. So I'm pretty sure that he's sitting there uh, behind this baggage. His little head is popping up over it. But Saul is afraid to be king. And how many of us, God has called out something over our lives that we're afraid to step into? 
It could be a dream. It could be a vision. Or maybe it could just be a conversation. Maybe it could be a reconciliation. Maybe it could be just something that God is saying, listen, I need you to step out on faith for me so that you can recognize and realize that I am real and I am present and I am for you in your life. And we go run and we hide. I don't know if that hits home right now. Maybe for somebody right now, you are still in hiding like Saul. God has literally called out life over your life, but you would rather go hide in the baggage of what life provides. So now we fast forward to the moment that we're going to be in in Scripture. Saul is now the most powerful man leading the most powerful army. He is a part of God's chosen team, the the children of Israel, God's favorites. God has literally kept them apart and set them apart and said, listen, I am going to bless the world through this group of individuals. So he's on the winning side on all fronts. And the crazy thing is that God is setting up a monarchy here. So what's supposed to take place is Saul's supposed to be king, and then his son's going to be king, and then his son's son is going to be king, and there's always going to be somebody from Saul's family sitting on the throne. Listen, his mission was set. His lineage was set for life. But then it's cut short. Then the curse of almost affects Saul himself. We find this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and it begins like this. The first three verses say, and Samuel said to Paul, the, excuse me, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. So what's happening is this group of Israelites, this nation has been enslaved for years, for over 400 years have been enslaved. A rescuer comes called Moses. This military, this prophetic leader comes and rescues this group of uh, this nation, the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And as they're traveling to a new land, the land that God has promised to give them, they encounter different tribes and they encounter different different nations and they go to some nations and say, hey, can we get a little help as we're moving forward? Hey, can we pass through this nation? And this nation had treated them very, very badly. And so God says, listen, you ain't going to treat my kids bad. Don't you love that, that we serve a God who's not going to allow us to be beaten and brutalized without taking vengeance on our behalf? That's why you don't ever have to fight for yourself in a way that causes drama. Because God says, listen, vengeance is mine. All you got to do is love, serve, be kind to other people. It says, love your enemies. Why? Because God's judgment is going to be over your enemies. And sometimes the greatest judgment you can give your enemies is to love them well. That trips people up. That's a free one right there. If you want to make somebody mad for real, for real, just love them well when they're treating you bad. Anyway, we're going to get back into this. Well, God's vengeance has finally come. This is years, this is decades, this is centuries after the exodus took place. God says, I've noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare 
anything. He says, do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. He says, I need you to level this country. Now, I know in here it says the destruction of of men and women and children and infants. I know that's a bit harsh, but listen, remember, we are not God. God is the creator of all things. God gives and God takes away. We don't understand why God wanted this to take place the way it did, but we understand that God's sovereignty gives God the ability to do what he wants with his creation. And so we're just going to trust that this was a good reason that God had. Number one, these people were terrible individuals that had brutalized um, uh, the nation uh, of Israel in terms of how they treated them. They treated them really wrong. And so God is just saying, listen, I'm going to have vengeance on them. I'm going to use Saul. I'm going to use Israel to come and wipe these people out. In verse 7, it says this, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Uh Oh, there's an issue here. God gives Saul instructions through Samuel that he's got to devote everything to destruction. Do not let anything live. The details were clear, but Saul goes against those details. Listen, he could have saved and he could have saved the kids. He could have saved uh, the infants, but he decided to save the king. For what purpose? He, he decides to save all of the choice cattle and, and all of the choice animals. And this is in direct rebellion of what God had called him to do. And this is the first sign where we see that something is going crazily wrong. It seems like there's competing commitments already showing up. Saul was more committed to keeping the king alive and keeping all of the choice animals alive than being fully obedient to God. And let me ask you this, where at in your life are you more committed to your own personal desires than to what God has commanded over your life. Let's go on in verse 10. It says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Now Samuel hears about this, right? The same prophet that that gave the instructions from God for Saul to go devote everything to destruction. He says, this is the word of the Lord that comes to Samuel. He says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Going on verse 13, it says, and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. Saul's in a good mood. We we beat the Malachites. I've taken Agag king. I've shown them who's boss. I've taken all of the choice animals and all of that. Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Did you really, bro? And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Uh, uh, bruh, if you would have completed everything, I would hear only sounds of cheer, but I'm also hearing sounds of animals. And you guys are warriors, not sheep herders. So why is it do I hear all of this sheep and the bleeding of oxen? 
And Saul says this. Saul said, they have been brought from the Amalekites for the people spared the best sheep. Not I spared the best sheep. Not I decided to allow the people spare the best sheep. He says the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Hey, listen, Samuel, I don't know why you're getting mad at me. We're about to give God a good sacrifice. We're about to provide God a healthy sacrifice. We're about to have a crazy worship experience because of these sheep. And Saul said, hold on. It says, then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. I want you to get what's going on right here. God has given a clear command and Saul has gone fully against the command that God has given. And God now regrets making Saul king. Now, this regret is not like we regret, like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. Like, that's not how God feels. God is like, man, listen, I called this. I told the children of Israel, if you wanted a king, your king is going to be corrupt because here's the deal. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone falls short. Israel had a king. They had God of heaven and earth who was perfect, who knew exactly what they needed. But they wanted an earthly king. And God called it. He said, listen, the same king that I'm going to raise up, I'm going to tell you because he's got the heart of man, is also going to turn back from following me. And honestly, he's going to turn back from serving you well. He's done explicitly what I told him not to do. And now Saul is beginning to pass blame. He's not owning any of it. He's saying, well, it was the people who decided to keep all these animals. And I'm like, you're a king, bro. You have the final word. This was a monarchy. This wasn't a, a, a democracy. If he would have said no animals, it would have been no animals. But he said, okay, to animals. So they brought the animals. And I just find it interesting that Saul, who is set apart, called out by God, who is anointed by God, decides to say, we were bringing sacrifices, Samuel, to the Lord, your God. Not the Lord, my God, but the Lord, your God. There's things shifting already in Saul's life. In verse 17, he goes on and he says, and Samuel said, though you are little in your eyes. Listen, I want you to, if you've got a Bible at home right now, I want you to grab that Bible and highlight this text. I want you to write this text down. I want you to uh, underline this text. I want you to star this text. First uh, Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. This is so big because I believe that it's personal to me and you. It says, and Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, Saul, Though you see yourself as so small, though you see yourself as so insignificant, though you've got this esteem of yourself, which is not great at all. Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? He goes on, he says, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord didn't anoint the people over Israel. You're the head over the king of Israel. No matter how you view yourself, no matter how you look at yourself, you are the head. You are the king. You're the one that God put in place. 
And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, meaning these people had turned their hearts away from God. These individuals had their hearts set to be in enmity to God. They wanted to do everything against God. And God said, listen, I don't want these people to show up because what they're going to do is they're going to lead all of my people astray as well, too. And he says, uh, go, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? This is a huge, huge statement. I want you to see this. He says, though you were small in your own eyes. Though you had a small view of yourself, can I tell you this? How we view ourselves will be evident by the decisions we make or not make. How we view ourselves will be evidenced by the decisions that we make or not make. In this moment, we're seeing the competing commitments show up in Saul's life. He views as himself as small. So he decides to do things that probably esteem himself in the presence of others. Hey, maybe if I take this king, I might feel better about myself so I can parade him through the streets and say, look what I did. Maybe let's take all of these animals so maybe I could be accepted before God and sacrifice these animals and say, God, see, uh, I earned my way to your love. But now look at the opportunity ahead, Saul. You have the opportunity to lead this nation. You have the opportunity to, to, to have your lineage as part of this monarchy. Look at the blessings ahead. Look at the possibilities ahead. Look what you're leaving on the table, Saul. How come? How come? Why did you do that? So how did you put yourself in a position where you would be willing to let go and throw away everything that God had already done and was going to do in your life? Saul said to Samuel in verse 24, I have sinned for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Listen to this, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Though Saul was a leader, Saul never saw himself as a leader. Remember when they came to anoint him king, how he ran and he hid? Because Saul didn't think he was qualified good enough, worthy enough to be a leader. So even when he was given a leadership position, Saul sabotaged it because he couldn't lead. He would allow others to lead him. See, Saul had what's called imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is this persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or contributed to or achieved by one's own gifting or talents or expertise. 
Imposter syndrome sits there and says, well, you know, I may be in this position, but I don't deserve to be in this position. I may have this opportunity, but who am I to take on this opportunity? Am I hitting home with somebody here? You view yourself as smaller than what you're being called to. Every time you're given an opportunity, you second guess if you're the right person for the job. Every time you're given an opportunity for advancement, you wonder when the shoe is going to drop next. Every time you're given a position of influence or given an idea or, or have this thought of maybe going after something new or an opportunity, whatever it is, you begin to look at yourself as insufficient, insignificant, and incapable of accomplishing the goal set ahead. See, many of us fall short of going the whole way because we've convinced ourselves that it won't work for me, that I'm not good enough. And being so focused on the other shoe to drop, we create what we're most afraid of. I don't know if this is hitting home, but I know this hits home for me. Because truth be told, I, every opportunity of influence, every opportunity of, of, of going greater that I've been given, I've always looked at myself as, man, I am small in my eyes. I don't know if I've got the chops. I don't know if I can. I don't know if God can truly use me. See, Saul's competing commitment was him holding on to the narrative that I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. In fact, I, I just don't even know if I can lead these people. So you know what? I'm just going to let them do what they want to do. He hides instead of walking into his calling. He fears people more than he fears the Lord. He self-sabotages to prove his self-worth. What do we see in verse 26? Samuel said to Paul, I will not return with you. I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. I really feel that this statement when he says you have rejected the word of the Lord, what was far beyond rejecting the commandment to destroy everything and keeping some. I really believe that rejecting the word over his life, that he was called and he was set apart. He didn't believe God. See, many of us believe in God, but we don't believe the word of God over our lives. So we second guess every opportunity, every moment, every situation and wonder, is God really in this? Can God really use me? Can God really take someone like me to create What's possible? Says, as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Saul was almost a great king, but he lost it. Saul's legacy was almost set in stone, 
but it was cut short. The Lord stripped Saul of his kingship, stripped him of his throne, and stripped him of his presence. A legacy left undone. So I've got a question for you. The same question that I've got to ask myself every single day as I look at the opportunities that I've been given in my life as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a brother, as a pastor, as a leader, as a worker. What's your competing commitment? What's your competing commitment? See, Saul was more committed to holding on to the lie that he was not enough. And this stopped him short of what God could and would do through him. What's your competing commitment? We all have them. What's your competing commitment? A few lessons that we can take from this story. Opportunities are a gift of God's grace. Opportunities are a gift of God's grace because here's the deal. It's true. We don't deserve it, but God gives it to us. We don't deserve the breath in our lungs because we fall short and sin every single day and sin against a holy and living God. None of us are perfect, but God still gives us the opportunity to wake up each morning as a gift of his grace. For us who go to work, our jobs are opportunities of God's grace. For us who drive, we get into the car and we drive and we get to our destination without getting into an accident. That's an opportunity of God's grace. No matter what the opportunity is, parenting is an opportunity. Your love relationship is an opportunity. Uh, being a, a son, a daughter, a friend, a worker, those are all opportunities of God's grace. That's the first lesson that we learn. Every opportunity is an opportunity of God's grace. Lesson number two, how or whether we finish is less about external factors. Saul had been given this amazing opportunity to be the first king of Israel, given this opportunity to be a monarchy that will establish a throne that would last centuries, decades, maybe even to the Messiah. However, he didn't see this opportunity as a gift of God's grace because he was so caught up in himself. And though he wanted to blame the people, the reality is if, if Saul would have right-sized the gift that was given, the giver that gave it to him, and the impact that could have happened if he was to walk in step in the belief and the understanding of who God had created him to be, things would have been different. See, our heart's disposition will create or destroy opportunity. It's not them out there. It's not about those people holding you down. It's not about those people getting in your way. It's not about your boss not giving you an opportunity. It's not about your spouse not loving you correctly. Here's the deal. Our heart's disposition will create or destroy opportunity. The third lesson that we learn is breakdowns are inevitable. Hello, somebody. Somebody feels me on this one. Breakdowns are inevitable, but they're also redeemable. 
breakdowns are inevitable and also redeemable. Why? Because no one bats a perfect game. No one is perfect. No, not one. Uh, What we learn in this story is if we begin to own the breakdown and not let the breakdown own us, we can get to the point of redemption and redeeming what God was doing in our life. Yes, maybe he wouldn't have been king, but he could have ended his kingship on a high note. He could have said, yes, I made mistakes, but look at what God has done in and through this. Yes, I've, I've, I've sinned against God, but look at how God redeemed me. But what we see in the trajectory of Saul's life is that it just gets worse and it gets worse because of this competing commitment that he's not good enough. So when God raises up a new king, and instead of grooming and shaping and handing over the kingdom correctly, he begins to attack this new king, go after him, try to destroy him until he finally destroys himself. Can I tell you, we serve a God who is a redeemer. He is willing to redeem everything and everyone. That's why scripture tells us he sent his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because we all deserve death. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all not believed God and decided to believe our own ideas and our own thoughts and our own creations. But God is so loving. God is so gracious that no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, Jesus' blood redeems, cleans, cleanses, restores, and redeems us completely and wholly in God's love for us. So what's your competing commitment? Saul had the opportunity to redeem his legacy. The story goes on with Saul being left as king even after that moment, but he chose to hold on to his competing commitment. So what's your competing commitment that's standing in the way of you crossing almost to completion? Is it a narrative that you believe about yourself or somebody said about you? Is it a disposition of how you feel about somebody else or how you feel about yourself or just how you look at things in life? Are you always playing the blame and shame game? Are you never taking responsibility? Is there an alternative route that you keep taking that's a competing position, competing commitment? Let me ask you, how is it serving you? What's being left undone because of it. Can I tell you today, you and I have the opportunity to bring our competing commitments to the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die so that we could be redeemed from these things that keep us from fully walking in step with God in our lives. Jesus wants to take away these competing commitments. See, when he says it is finished, it was not only a declaration of the atonement that God had paid the price, uh, that Jesus had paid the price that me and you deserved on the cross. 
It wasn't just his perfect work was completed on this earth. When Jesus declared it is finished, I want you to receive it as a declaration that in him, there is no curse of almost. With Jesus, you can get to the completion of the matter. You can finish that conversation. You can pursue that opportunity. You can redeem that situation. Why? Because Jesus redeems it all, rebuilds it all, and renews it all. Because it says the old has passed away when we are in Jesus and the new has come. So if you want a fresh new anointing in your life, if you want a fresh new renewal over your life uh, for the church, our, 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 our theme for this year is reset. If you want God to reset every area of your life so that you can say, I may have dropped the ball here. I may have left it unfinished here. I may have left it undone here. I don't have to be stuck with the curse of almost. In Jesus, it is finished. In Jesus, I leave my competing commitments at the cross. In Jesus, he takes me across the finish line, not only redeeming me from my sin, but also redeeming me from my failure to believe his word over my life. So today, if you've been battling with competing commitments, if you've left things undone, if you've left it at almost, God is inviting you to allow Jesus to take you the whole way. And there may be somebody watching here. You're like, man, I was almost a Christian. I was almost following God. I was almost believing God's word over my life, but I've fallen short due to sin. I've fallen short due to my own desires. And you're saying, God, I'm coming back. I want you to declare it is finished over my life. Not that it is finished because it is stripped away, but it is finished that it is yes and amen. And my relationship with you is fully complete. And I can walk in victory of knowing that you are with me till the end of this life into eternity. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to say yes to all the areas of your life that you've been saying no to him, you've been saying maybe, you've been saying wait, and you're, you're bringing yourself and say, God, I'm not going to be like Saul. I'm not going to let other things get in the way of me knowing you and believing in you and believing you. I want to pray for you today. God, I pray for every person who's been listening and watching and engaging with this. Lord, I pray that this story of salt will be a reminder, God, that opportunities are a gift of your grace. Even just the breath in our lungs is an opportunity. And how we finish, how we are in relationship with you is less to do with outside factors and more to do with our hearts. And Lord, they're bringing, we're bringing our hearts back to you. And we're saying, God, call it finished over our lives. And Lord, we know that breakdowns are inevitable and they're going to happen, but we're grateful that through Jesus Christ, breakdowns are redeemable. So redeem us today, Lord. Create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit within us, forgive our sins, and restore us in your truth. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc.
Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.